Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. Well, I'm blessed here today to be on a conversation with a guy that will definitely throw some people off by his name. The name is James Carey. Let that sink in for a minute. You think humor, you think movies, you think the mask, you think a whole bunch of stuff. And then if you were to pause and I were to ask myself, what is the type of person I think I would never interview? I might say a British sitcom writer. Well, the James Carey I'm talking to today is a British sitcom writer, author, podcast host, and so much more. James, welcome. Appreciate you being on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast with us today. It's great to be with you. Thanks. And, you know, if you're going to start with Jim Carrey, it's all downhill from there, isn't it? So uh, you've already managed expectations there. Well, you know what's funny about you saying that? So I was a huge fan of Jim Carrey back in the uh, in Living Color days. And if I'm honest, I think he's kind of gone downhill ever since. I loved <laughs> his first stuff. He, he did a great bit. Did you ever watch that show, by the way? Living color. We didn't get it over here. I'm aware. I've seen some of his early stand-up stuff when he used to impersonate people and actually look like them as well as sound like them. It was just, it's, it's, a, it was incredible. Well, he, he was known on that show for one character, particularly Fire Marshal Bill, and okay. then he did a thing where him and uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans were at a church, and it was kind of a revival service type thing going on, and he, they supposedly start speaking in tongues, and it's Michael Jackson, Mama Say, Mama Sa, Mama Husa. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So every time I think Jim Carrey, I think Michael Jackson speaking in tongues. And uh, how do you get better than that? I mean, well, there you go. Ace Ventura is pretty good for me. I mean, it's, yeah. it's all pretty much downhill after that. The that, cable guy, yeesh. Yeah, you know, that's not. Uh, wow. I don't know if you you ever watch uh, comedians in cars getting coffee with Seinfeld, but he was on an episode of that. And uh, that's the, the real thick beard mustache he's had going on. And ah, there was definitely I've some- I've not seen that one. Yeah, you should check it out. It's it's definitely kind of eccentric. And, and uh, you know, I know there's been some kind of up and down stuff with him. But uh, yeah, he was pretty eccentric in that. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to drop this name then since, you know, I'm trying to compete with Jim Carrey here. I did work with somebody else who was in that car with Jerry Seinfeld. And that would be this guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's called John Oliver. Oh, uh, yeah. So when so back in the day, he was over here struggling to get work, frankly, and he only moved to America because he just thought, well, I can't do any worse than I'm doing over here in the UK. <laughs> and I did a I did a failed sitcom for the radio, uh, which which is OK. It's just no one cared. And he was in it. And uh, that was the end of that. I didn't really ever see him again. And after a while, I just thought, man, I hope this John Oliver guy is OK. I've not heard from him from a while, but uh, he's probably, I think he's doing all right. Yeah, he's probably doing OK, I think. You know, his, yeah. his episode he did where he talked about multi-level marketing. Did you see that? The only thing I remember is when he's, they're both bad actors, both him and Jerry Seinfeld. And they're both talking about how... They're in a show and just admiring how well everyone else is acting and then going, oh, man, I need to act again because it's my turn to say something. I love that bit. You know, he's got a great laugh. I remember the only thing I can really remember well about that episode, because I've definitely caught 
some sound bites of John Oliver on YouTube is his laughter and the way those two were kind of laughing, playing off each other. Yeah. There's nothing to me quite like seeing people in comedy like yourself who, hmm. when there was someone else in that field and they're just having a good time together. Uh, Seinfeld yeah. had that. And that's, yeah, and that's a really interesting. You mentioned that because I, I do a, I do a technical sitcom podcast called sitcom geeks, where we talk about comedy and how to write comedy and all that kind of stuff. And we've interviewed some really decent, uh, you know, some really, uh, famous within the UK, old school comedians. There's a, guy, there's a guy called Barry Cryer, who's like the grandfather of comedy in the UK. And the thing you notice when, and when he talks about the people that influenced him, he noticed that comedians just love comedy. They love jokes. Mm -hmm. And actually the really good ones, they're not actually as competitive as you think. They just kind of enjoy enjoy the craft, enjoy the comic juxtaposition, enjoy all of the, all you know, so, you know, they're obviously very hard to offend. And we sometimes within ourselves just go, hey, how about this one? How about this one? It's just like, wow, you could never say that in public. But you're just kind of enjoying the craft of the joke. And that's the thing with that comedians in cars getting coffee thing is you just think they just love comedy. You know what I mean? And it's it's really infectious. Uh, well, so I don't, I don't know where that's going, but I just thought I'd throw that in. Well, and the crazy thing about it is as much as they love com comedy, I think they love coffee a lot too. I mean, it's interesting. And then that first moment when they come out of you know hotel or apartment or house and they see that car that Seinfeld picks so well thinking of who they were, I'm like, they clearly love all three of these. They love comedy, they love coffee, and they love their cars. So yeah, yeah. Hey, let's stay on this. Something I had messaged you about was, and I don't know if you ever saw it. I'm going to go on sabbatical coming up. And one of the things that really gives me life is humor. I love, I think we were messaging, I told you that, you know, as much as we talk about worship or we talk about whatever as a great unifier to people, I think there's something about being in a room with people laughing together, whether it's a, you know, at a comedy club, uh, in church, you know, we always talk about bars, people get very honest and real, wherever it may be, when people are laughing together. And so when I went on sabbatical a number of years ago, I spent a lot of time on my sabbatical watching humorous things. One of the things that was really good for me was HBO did a thing a number of years ago with Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Louis C.K. and Ricky Gervais. Oh, they, yeah, I saw that. Well, talk about that, because I think there was something so beautiful about them talking about what makes something funny from each perspective. And of course, and, and you being over in England, you probably can appreciate, I mean, Ricky Gervais, when that guy gets laughing, I'm done. I, you don't need to say anything. Just let me watch him laugh. He's, um, he's got a great laugh, hasn't he? He really, he really puts his back into it and throws his head up and, and laughs. Uh, yeah. I know what you mean about there's something unifying about comedy. Actually. I mean, one of the things I, I, I wrote in my book, that I read a book called the sacred art of joking and I deal with mainly how comedy goes wrong in that. And the reason that comedy goes wrong and we get offended is because when it goes right, it's just so wonderful. And when you see a comedy clip, when you see a funny thing, you just want to share it. And when you're a kid and you, you, you find, you see something funny, you want your parents to find it funny as well. Mm. And so you just kind of want to get people in to watch it. And now obviously uh, it's 2021. So you just basically share it, you repost it, you retweet it. Um, and these things kind of go viral and we all enjoy this kind of moment together, uh, which, which is quite breathtaking. There is something kind of divine about it. It's part of our humanity, I think. And I think the, the flip side of it is, you know, it's great to see those guys talking about comedy and really, um, riding on each other's, you know, riffs and bits and, and joking, but the opposite of it is really creepy and scary. When you meet someone and you find them creepy the most likely reason for that is 
they don't have a sense of humor. Really? So when people are serious, when people just don't get jokes at all, there's something less than human about them. And it, it really creeps you out and you don't know how to talk to them because they just, you're just kind of groping around. Well, what on earth? It's like trying to, you know, occasionally you meet an Australian who doesn't know anything about sport. And you're just like, what the heck do I talk about now? I got yeah. nothing, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so I just think humor is so fundamental to our being, which is why I called it the sacred art of joking. And if you don't want to do it, if you don't enjoy comedy, if you don't laugh, if you don't see absurdities and things, I think there's something kind of a bit wrong with you. You know what's interesting about you saying that, James? So I lead a men's ministry called The Gathering in the Miami Valley, and I get a chance to invest in about upwards of 200 plus guys uh, on a regular basis. We have small groups, about 26 of them that meet. And there's a young guy I've gotten to connect with a little bit, and he's in his 20s. And he's really sharp, well-educated, kind of right upbringing. He's got all these things going for him, and he's an old soul in a challenging way. Like I, I've told a number of guys, like when some guys have been helping trying to find him work and he's got a pretty advanced degree, but he really has trouble loosening up. And I just want to get him, you know, in the right environment and just like slapstick, dying, belly aching laugh. And I'll be honest, I'm not sure if he's got it in him. And I think it's holding him back. And so I think what you're saying is just really true. Yeah. I, I guess I'm, I want to be careful not to be quick. This is what you do for a job. So you can be funnier and say some stuff that maybe I can't. But uh, I, I wouldn't latch the word creepy onto it necessarily. But I, I get what you're saying, too. There's, yeah. you know, there's a famous line, John Riggins, the former NFL football player for the Washington Redskins, was in front of Sandra Day O'Connor, the U.S. Supreme Court justice. And I forgot what the interaction and the context was. But at some point he says to her, loosen up Sandy baby. And that became a phrase that some friends of mine and I, uh, we've all been in sports writing and we used to just joke and say it line to each other all the time, loosen up Sandy baby. And I kind of look at people in life, kind of like you're saying, they're like, man, just it's, it's, it's life is too short. There's too much going on. Don't take yourself too seriously. Loosen mm. up Sandy baby. That's a great expression. I think because the, the flip side of it is you can just kill a room by having a sense of humor failure. And at that moment, you then control the room. And therefore, I think people willfully misunderstand jokes or are willfully uncharitable towards jokes uh, as a way of just, it's, it's, it's kind of an attention thing sometimes. I'm just, you know, some people just don't get it. And they're just like, you can see them smiling and looking around just going, somebody just made a joke and uh, everyone else seemed to get it. I don't, I'm just mm. going to smile. <laughs> uh, but there are others who will just tut or just go, hey, that, that's not cool. You know, oh, oh, we're doing that, are we? Oh, right, okay. And he's just like, oh, you know, and it's often very uncharitable. And that's kind of Twitter cancellation culture is going on is where somebody makes a joke eight years ago and someone decides, yeah, let's just take it out of every possible context and make it as mm. bad as it could possibly be. And you're just like, look, life ain't going to work if we all do that because we're all going to get cancelled. So uh, that that's just not a way to go, really. And I think also... The other thing that I talk about is being offended. Um, and I think we have a real sense in which if I was offended by something, then you've said something wrong. You should apologize for that. And as a Christian, you just go, no, uh, Jesus offended people. And he set out to offend people. He knew he was offending people. He really killed the mood sometimes in a way that was actually quite funny when you look at it from the outside. Uh, he knew what he was doing. So the idea that you should never offend someone. You just go, well, that's not a Christian view. Uh, there's no there's no Bible basis for that view. Yeah. So I think Christians can and should do better on this. So that's kind of what I'm always 
trying to do is just, you know, we don't want to say it doesn't matter what you say and we can all loosen up. I think there are ways you can do that. But it's just the idea that offense equals bad equals someone's done something wrong. It's like, no, that's sometimes you, you should be offended by something. Satire is meant to be offensive. You know, you probably read the Babylon Bee and sure. sometimes you're laughing at the other guys. And then sometimes you're laughing at your own guys. You know, the, the one I always remember, because I'm kind of a fairly hands down conservative evangelical kind of guy. The one about the emotion sensors switching off the lights in some Presbyterian church because clearly no one moves. And you're just like, that's really funny. Uh, oh, my goodness. You know what I mean? And this is, that's, yeah. a, that's on me. Yeah, that's funny. Um, so, yeah, I think you need to be able to take it and, and take yourself less seriously. Uh, and if you, if you can't do that, I think some warning signs are going off for me. So let me ask you this, James. It's funny. I feel like we're going to totally ditch what I said to you as far as any kind of uh, direction here, because you're saying some great stuff in a moment. I mean, how does that work for you? I mean, you clearly, to me, come off as a, you know, we haven't met officially other than this, but uh, we've had some back and forth and you seem like a very mature man of God. Do you have to have like an extra radar spiritually as you're either hearing humor or sharing humor to say, Ooh, that might be crossing a line or Ooh, that might be something that dishonors God, or that might be, Ooh. I mean, how do you, like you mentioned the Babylon B. I remember um, the onion one time had an article that I thought was hilarious. This was after Jordan came back to the NBA and it was referencing Jesus making his return to the NBA and what he did his first game back and how he changed the water to Gatorade. And I thought it was hilarious. Now I'm I'm like okay I guess somebody might be put off by that but I I'm not seeing it like how could you be put off by that how does that work in your world do you have to have a extra sense of a radar up to make sure you don't go too far with something or or is that just part of humor it, it is a risky business and just for the record I've been called many things but a mature man of God is not one of them so that's a first <laughs> thank you very much for that we got more of those uh, to come gonna, yes that's right I put those in the comments and put it on my poster um, so I think. As, as somebody who writes jokes is I'm aware that you basically don't get to when you fail, it can go horribly wrong. And you sometimes don't know till you that you fail till you've tried it. So, you know, if, if you're just a stand up, I'm not a stand up comedian, but if you're a stand up comedian and you've got a bit and it just seems incredibly funny and then you try it out in front of an audience and the audience just go, whoa, what is that? no. No, and, you're, and suddenly you, as you're saying it out loud, you kind of hear the reaction and you just go, oh, yeah, that seemed really funny in my head. Mm. And, and so there, there's a public failure to it that you just don't get. And so you may be a doctor and you may suck. You may be a terrible doctor. No one's going to know. The dude's going to die and you're going to carry on drawing your salary. So whereas if you're a comedian and you tell a joke, everyone's going to hear, you know, it's like it's going to be obvious. So. You just think, but to, to get good jokes and for Seinfeld to get that routine down, which he's worked on again and again, I never tire of documentaries about Seinfeld and how mm. incredibly hard he works. And there's like three or four of them floating around, aren't there? And I've seen all of them. I've seen him live twice. Yeah, me too. Um, he's not even a big deal in the UK. No one's really heard of Jerry Seinfeld over here. Um, the, the, the show wasn't on TV at a decent time, so nobody watched the, the show. Um, we had we got we got cheers and we got mash, uh, but we didn't get Seinfeld really. Uh, even though he's got a really British sense of humour in terms of like <laughs> really awkward, difficult people uh, rubbing, you know, it's no hugging, no learning. You know, that's a really British style show. Sure. But but you're, you're trying out bits, and it's a public process, 
and therefore I'm I'm particularly aware that you kind of have to be charitable to people just to say they didn't know what it sounded like till they said it. And the moment they said it, they got it. Or, or they've even done a bit and it's worked quite well for a long time. But then someone just says, by the way, every time you say that, there'll be some people who are thinking this. Uh, you, are you okay with that? And sometimes a comedian is, and sometimes they're not. And I guess the thing that's really important that Christians don't like talking about very much because it makes it sound like we're into relative truth is context. So if you've paid 15 bucks to go into a, um, into a comedy show with three comedians you've never heard of, you're going to expect to not agree with probably half of it, maybe three quarters of it. Um, there's going to be a, there's permission in the room to say stuff uh, that if you don't want that kind of thing, you don't pay your 15 bucks and you don't go. And the problem is if you hold up a camera phone uh, and you video the act, you put it on Twitter, you've just taken away the context and suddenly everyone's just saying, well, you know, you wouldn't do that joke to your grandmother. So why do you think it's okay to do it there? Because it's a different place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so if you just note the way Jesus talks differently to people, he talks differently to uh, to people who are poor, who are excluded, to people who have disgraced themselves to people who are powerful and vile and take him literally all the time. And he kind of messes with people like that. Um, so he adjusts his speech accordingly. So I just think you want to be aware of the context and be generous to it. And in my case, and then I'll shut up and you can ask another question because I, I think about this stuff all the time. Uh, I wrote a show called Bluestone 4-2, which is um, a show set in the British Army in Afghanistan uh, during the, the, the last war there. And it's about a bomb disposal unit. And I don't know if you can guess this, but you know what happens when a, when a bomb detonates? What the soldiers say? It's not, <laughs> dang it. It's not, oh dear. They use other words. Uh, I can imagine. Yeah. To show them not saying those words would be weird. 100%. It wasn't weird in, um, in the Korean War when Hawkeye was doing surgery because it just would have been completely unacceptable for people to have used bad language on, uh, on uh, mainstream TV. But in our show, they, they talk how soldiers talk. Um, and so I was writing stuff and some Christians were offended by that, to which I would go, good, <laughs> be offended. Don't, don't talk like that. Uh, that's how these guys talk. You should, you know, your speech should be different because you're, you're a Christian. So uh, it's just kind of being aware of the really complex stuff that's going on around the joke. And I think sometimes we just kind of want to flatten it out, have a rule for everything. Yeah. You say this word, you're done. It's just like, nah, that doesn't work. That, that, that doesn't even work in the Bible. So it can't, it can't work in our everyday life in the 21st century. See, and you know what's interesting about what you're saying? I think there's such a balance between, I think you're going to agree with the first part of this for sure. I mean, there's, there's a holiness to humor, especially if it's done in a way that honors God or, you know, the best humor is full of truth. You know, mm. Seinfeld would take some random thing that happens and everybody knows it and makes it truth or Sebastian Maniscalco or, or Ricky Gervais or John Christopher, yeah. you name the person. But there's also something very irreverent about it, too, that I think, you know, how do you do both? And, uh, you know, I, I recently had said on Facebook, I was really excited about two shows on uh, streaming. One was The Chosen. The other one was Last Chance You on, on uh, Netflix. And it's about, they've done a number of last chance use. This one was about basketball and it was about urban LA, East LA college. And there was clearly some salty language in that. And people, a couple of people looked at me like I was crazy. Like, wait, you want to watch 
last chance you where there's four letter words flying around versus uh, versus uh, the chosen. And I'm like, yes, first I'm watching that. Then I'll watch the chosen. And I'm like, they have a show about East LA basketball and urban community. And there wasn't four letter words. It, it wouldn't be legit. It wouldn't be authentic. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm yeah. not promoting those words, but to have none of that in there, it wouldn't be true to what it is. Yeah. Speak to and that. Think, speak to irreverence and holiness in the same token with humor. Yeah. I think the, I mean, what I would say to people is like, if, if watching this show that's full of swearing makes you want to swear, well, don't watch it. Uh, it's, it's like, don't, it, it doesn't make it okay. But that this is the world you want to go in. In the same way that if you're a Christian and you want to work with with drug addicts, you're going to have to spend some time with drug addicts. Mm -hmm. Now you're not going to chastise them every time they say a bad word or take heroin in front of you. So what are you trying to do, man? You know. It's, so I, I think people have have this really high standard. And for me, here's the thing: the people who have these immutable standards, regardless of context are the people who yelled at Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath and then they killed him. Mm. It's like, don't, don't be on that team. That's a really bad team to be on. That's the team that Jesus makes jokes about. That's the team that Jesus goes out of his way to offend. And so you want to be careful with what you say. You want to be reverent. Don't make jokes about Jesus. Uh, I don't think he, I don't think he likes them and he doesn't deserve them. The joke's on us, you know, all the time the joke is on us. Uh, and I think Jesus can, can take a joke. But I'm kind of uncomfortable going there. But that's not to say that those jokes can't be done. If you can, you know, I didn't. And the skillful comedian can can show you how you could do those jokes. Um, yeah, you just had but, one. I, I, on your interview you just did that I that you sent me that I saw. I loved where you commented that uh, young woman that was interviewing you. You said um, kind of the, some of the humor in the gospel. You said Jesus came to be a man. Wow, Jesus was killed. Wow, or something to that effect, and then you're like, <laughs> "That's oh, crazy!" And he died that way. Oh, that didn't go. You know, no, nobody's yeah. choosing. It. I mean, I thought, yeah, there's some humor in that. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's. I wouldn't open with it at the comedy store, but it's like Jesus. You know, if you didn't know the Christian story, you just go, "Well, what what happened? Well, God became man. Oh yeah, how did that go? Oh, we killed him. What? Yeah, it's like, well, how did you do that? Oh, it was religious people that killed him. Religion? What? Yeah, and they put above him a sign that says, "This is the King of the Jews," and it, and he was. But so it's kind of so full of irony um, that you know that just. So I'm again, I'm not saying that the cross of Christ is funny, but when you when you're a, if you're a sitcom writer like me, you look at it and just go, look, there's comic stuff going on here. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, there's this really uns in John's Gospel. There's this really funny thing where. Pilate's written a sign saying this is the king of the Jews and the guys that had him crucified said could you take that sign down because people might get the wrong idea that it really is the king of the Jews and then we'd really be in trouble and of course the joke is it really is the king of the Jews <laughs> yeah. so it's again you don't want to you don't want to do stuff that's in poor taste but equally open your eyes and just see the the weirdness and the and the the strangeness of of Good Friday and then Easter Monday uh, Easter Sunday of the joy uh, they didn't expect him to come back uh, they turned up with spices yeah. <laughs> it's just not, you don't turn up to someone's house with spices if you think they're going to come leaping out of the door at you uh, so you know it's just read what it says yeah it's surprising why would Jesus not be one of the funnier people in the room I mean if, if he wouldn't yeah. be a stiff sitting off in a corner not having a good, I mean, no way. So, Hey, let me ask you a few questions. Let's hear about uh, you coming to Jesus. So before you knew Jesus as Lord and savior, what was your impression of Jesus? 
Why did you come to know him in a real personal way? And then talk about Jesus today in the midst of everything we've experienced in the last year plus that makes you more in love with Jesus today than you were before. Oh, okay. I can probably hold those things in my head. I'll, I'll give that a go. <laughs> but I came, um, my, my parents uh, went to church a bit and they still do. Uh, they sent me to a really super Christian school and it was kind of good Christian rather than yell at you Christian. And, um, and I, it kind of worked. I was figuring out who Jesus was. He seemed great. And, but he, he seemed serious. And I think I lived with that for quite a long time. I, I had to wrestle quite a lot with my love for comedy and my love for Jesus and trying to put those two things together. They always felt like they were at odds. So when people hear me talk about this stuff, I, I know how that feels to say this, you know, this, these feel don't feel like they go together. So growing up, uh, I probably became a Christian when I was like 10 or 11 at school, realizing that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And I can either live my life accepting that fact and rejoicing in it or basically trying to shut it out of my life and hope that it would go away. So it wasn't a particularly dramatic or exciting experience. It was like, uh, yeah, he's son of God, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. Right. I'm in. What, what, what do I do now? Um, but growing up, I just loved comedy and I just didn't see the point of watching anything else. So there were loads of great British UK uh, com comedy and watching the Monty Python movies and that kind of stuff. But also we got all of the great American shows. So we just in the UK think you guys are amazing at comedy because we don't see all the awful stuff, you know? So we just get friends, Frasier, uh, you know, we, we, we didn't even get Seinfeld. Uh, you know, we got MASH, we got Cheers. Um, so, uh, you know, we didn't get the, um, you know, the Yes Dear or whatever it was mm. or uh, some some other yeah, or what is it? Um, my mother, the car, uh, which was like the, the the famously worst sitcom in U.S. history, where some somebody's mum died and then and then their spirit went into a car. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah. Ouch! I yeah. missed that one. Wow. Yeah, exactly. You were to that. see it. Yeah, that was a long. That was a long time ago. Um, so I've always loved comedy as well, and it take it took me a while to realize that the Jesus who is actually on the page of Scripture is a Jesus who is surprising, and you know he's not a stand-up comedian, but the stuff that's going on around him is funny. And I've I've really in the lockdown particularly, and as I was writing my last book, which was kind of during lockdown, I've got a new book coming out called The Gospel According to a Sitcom Writer. Ooh, when does that come out? When does that come out? So that's that's out in June. Uh, so around about now, hopefully when this uh, podcast is going out, uh, that's from uh, IVP in, in the States Ooh, and cool. SBCK in the UK. Um, and I've been really reflecting on how, like, I know you mentioned The Chosen. I've not seen it. I'm kind of 50-50 on putting Jesus on a screen. I, I've got a, I do a podcast with a guy called Barry Cooper. He's really not in favor of doing that. I think that's something in that. I'm not sure. I mean, how do you play the supreme being? How do you direct that? What do you, you know, yeah. Hey, can we, Hey, Hey, Steve, whoever playing Jesus, Steve, can we just, can we just do that line again? And as you're saying it, can you just be mindful of the fact that you were there at the creation of the universe and that you're going to die on the cross for this guy's sins? Okay, everybody. And three, two, what it's like, mm. I don't know how you do that, uh, but it can be, maybe it can be done. I, I don't know, but just going back to the scriptures and you just, when it's particularly the miracles, and that's going to be my next area of focus in particular, is, is understanding what the miracles mean. But when you actually look at the miracles, if you were there, they'd be funny. And if you were playing them in a movie, it would be hard for that movie not to be funny. Mm. Like, I mean, 
big example would be like the Transfiguration. So it, funnily enough, it, it, John was there. John's gospel is the only gospel it's not in. I don't know why. Um, but you've got John, you've got Peter, and you've got uh, John's brother, James, and Jesus, and Moses, and Elijah. Now, that would be weird, wouldn't it? I don't know if you can you imagine being invited to the Oval Office to meet the president. And then the president just says, uh, oh, by the way, uh, there's Abraham Lincoln. Mm. Um, and, you know, and and there's pick pick one and there's JFK. And uh, hi, yeah. <laughs> what's going on there? I mean, that's that's kind of funny. And, and it's funny in the Gospels because in one of them, I can't remember which, Peter kind of panics and says, we must build shelters. It's like, and you can kind of imagine the other, you know, Moses and Elijah looking at Jesus as like going, you're going to build your church on this guy. Okay. Mm. Good, good luck with that. Uh, so it's, and if you were doing it in a movie, when they see these amazing things, you always get like in any kind of um, alien landing in a movie, there's always a security guard sitting at a gate. He sees the aliens land and then he looks at the bottom of his cup because he's and thinks, wow, I should really quit drinking because I just saw really something really weird happen. And you go, well, that's kind of that's kind of most of the Gospels is like, what has he done now? He's fed 5000 people. OK, <laughs> it's like the, the miracles are, are amazing and it would be hard for them not to be kind of just comically joyful. And yet, well done, everyone. Well done, Christians. We've made them boring. We did it. <laughs> you know, uh, our art, the way we read scripture in public, everything about it. We've made them boring, unsurprising and not funny. Well done. So I just want to get that back. You know, I love A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy. I don't know if you've ever read that or dabbled with it at all, but he really goes through about 25, 26 characteristics, qualities. That, and that, those words aren't even doing it justice of who God is. Holiness, omniscient, he's love. You know, the list goes on and on. Is there a quality or a trait of who Jesus is that you've really grown to value and affirm and really want as part of your DNA as a follower of Jesus in the last year? I've become particularly mindful of, I, I sort of hinted at it earlier, the way Jesus messes with people. And he really, so, you know, I sort of implied that earlier that Jesus messes with the powerful and he doesn't mess with other people. He's always kind to those people who are outcasts or whatever. Look at the Samaritan woman in John chapter four. They're having a really nice chat about living water huge references to Jacob and the well and the, the stone that's going to be rolled away at the end of John, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's going really well. And then Jesus says, Hey, go and get your husband. <laughs> it's just like, Whoa, killed that moment. Yeah. And she's like, ah, well, um, yeah, yeah. You've had loads of husbands, haven't you? And the guy that you're currently with, he's not your husband. It's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, and he's just never afraid to have a difficult conversation mm. and they're always righteous. You know, we, we think we like to have difficult conversations and actually we're just being idiots. Uh, we're just trying to prove someone wrong. We don't actually have their best interests at heart. We're trying to justify ourselves, but he asks really hard questions and he's never afraid to do it. And I think I've been really, really struck by how it's just always worth thinking. And there are so many, 
so many disappointments in public Christianity. And it's sort of like they're coming at an alarming speed. And we just need to get ahead of that and just go, well, what are the next ones going to be? We need to ask ourselves some really hard questions mm. about ourselves as well as our as, as well as our church and the churches that we're part of and the denominations we're part of. So I've been really struck by by firstly that. And then secondly, I just worry that we have higher standards than Jesus. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, we just say, okay, you're cancelled, you're done, Christian leader, you've done the wrong thing, and that's it. You're finished. There is no margin for error. Step down. And so these guys don't step down because they know that they cannot be forgiven. They will cover up everything because they because they can't leave, because our standards are so high. Look at the disciples. What a bunch of clowns. Totally. Look at the end. Look at the end of John's gospel. There's, there they are with the risen Lord Jesus. And Peter is, he's not being given a look who's come crawling back. He's been given three opportunities to make up for his denials. And then there's this really tawdry bit where John's there and he's just like going, well, what's going to happen to that guy? And, and Jesus is just like, what's it to you, man? What? <laughs> you know, it's, ugh, you know, he's just, uh, Peter's just ruined it again. And so we just kind of keep getting in the way and messing up. And Jesus is kind of weirdly fine with that. Mm. He calls us to an impossibly high standard. And yet he just welcomes us and forgives us. And we see that in the church. We just make a hash of it the whole time, even in the early church in Acts. People are struck dead, <laughs> you know, for, for not declaring all of their giving and all that kind of stuff. And yet... We just seem to, we, we just don't, you know, sound like Dr. Evil. We do not tolerate failure. And Jesus tolerates failure. Why don't we? Wow. Well, we were talking before we got on here about our friend Brant Hansen, and uh, there's a lot, as I heard him preach the other day, I mean, there's a lot. I would love to have a lot of my pastor friends have you come share, because I'd be there. I don't want to hear it. And I think you're speaking to some real significant truths we need to hear. So let me pivot real quick. I think to some of what you said, I, I think you were speaking to Jesus's willingness to, to engage, to step into situations and not to avoid and come full of grace and blow past expectations we may have. And obviously he's the only one that can you know meet the righteousness that's required that we can't help ourselves with. So really appreciate that response. So let me fire five rapid five questions. I call them at you. that are just simple, short and sweet, maybe take a little thought and uh, might have a little different flavor since you're from uh, across the uh, ocean. So what was your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Oh, uh, that's a hard one. I mean, everyone used to say a Mars bar. That Mm. was really exciting. Uh, but for me, I'm always a savory guy. Crisps, Pringles. I could I could eat my own height in Pringles every day. Uh, <laughs> Can we make that happen? That's a, that's a second podcast right there. Can we do that's that? That's not good. I lost four and a half stone. Uh, I lost about 60 pounds a few years ago, and that was partly through too much Pringles. So just cut out tell the Pringles. Tell I mean, tell that's a whole other podcast as well. You were so, 60 uh, pounds heavier than you are? Yeah, yeah. I was I was, I was. was too big. Oh, my uh, God. But, I can't yeah. imagine you 60 pounds bigger just from what I've seen. No. Yeah. All right. Well, question number two, what's your favorite book you either most have gifted to people or you would want to gift to people? Uh, people with kids, we give them the first uh, Wing Feather Saga book, Ooh, uh, which is Andrew Peterson yeah. a book. And that, that's a great set of books, four books there for kids. And there's another one that's just come out, which is like stories from the thing. The book I kind of go on about quite a lot is Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. Ooh, yeah. um, and, you know, he was a classic. He was 
Jesus-like in the fact that he just kind of asked difficult questions and he kind of wasn't afraid of the answers and he wasn't afraid of like looking like an idiot. And he kind of, he kind of did look like an idiot, but he didn't care. And that, I think that was his superpower. Mm-hmm. That's not light reading G.K. Chesterton orthodoxy. Well, do you know what? Give it a go. Just try the first chapter, and I think you might be quite surprised. There you go. I've, it's I've free. To... It's on the internet. You can get a hold oh, of it. Oh, yeah. I've seen, I've seen it. I tried Give to dabble in it once. So, Okay, here's one for you. And this, this might be a little tough for being over in England, but if your family – I've got a family of uh, four kids, 12 to 18. Uh, when we go on vacation, it's really tough to plan you know, 10, 12, 15-hour drive. Like, where are we going to stop for lunch and it lands perfectly. Like someone's either got to go to the bathroom 10 minutes before and we get stuck and we got to choose the next exit. And let's say, and I'm going to, have you been to the States before many times, hopefully? I've only been to Manhattan. So that's not really, that's kind of not States really, is it? Well, we're limited. So I might have to see what you got over there. So you have to make a quick decision about where to grab lunch. And I'm going to give you, you can pick whatever you want for a third option, but two choices you have are McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. You have Chick-fil-A over there? (laughs) Wow. They tried and uh, some people got angry and offended and they said that they didn't feel safe. I mean, the chickens obviously didn't feel safe, but um, <laughs> so, so we don't have that. I, I love McDonald's. So you'd be a McDonald's. Uh, I would happily, my, I don't think I've ever taken my kids there though. They really like Starbucks. They love all their kind of cakey kind of treats. So, uh, but also for reference, if you drove for 18 hours uh, from where I am, you're going to hit the sea like after about eight hours. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, it's crazy. You're the second person I've interviewed that said their kids have never had McDonald's. That blows my mind. But yeah, anyway, yeah, I don't know. My, my wife doesn't, is not a fan. And yeah. so if I'm traveling on my own, I might easily stop off. But again, I've stopped doing that. And also I lost 60 pounds. Uh, yeah. so that's, that's like, it, that's an easy one. Don't don't have McDonald's if you want to lose that's 60 That's right. Pounds. Supersize me. What a great movie. Um, yeah, yeah. So what's the movie that gets you and pulls you in every time? If it were to come on TV, you're flipping channels and you see this movie, which one gets you sucked in every time? That's a really good question. I wish I'd thought of that one. Uh, the one I'd like to say is The Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great movie. But the one I can't ever turn off is Falling Down with Michael Douglas. Oh, wow. Uh, there's some, there's something really disturbing about that movie. And that, that realization at the end where he's like, and I'd spoke to a guy called Steve McAlpine. He's written a really helpful book about this. He's an Australian guy and it's called we're the bad guys oh, okay. or something like that. And so Michael Douglas is standing there. His character is just like, man, I'm, I'm the bad guy. How am I, how am I the bad guy? I think that's a really interesting movie because he's obviously mentally ill because he's like, he's grabbed some guns and shot some people by that point. So uh, that, that the fact that I love that movie so much is kind of worrying, but I think a lot of men do identify with part of that movie. And that's on the, that's on the TV about every six months in the UK. And I really struggle to turn it off. And I've go to never bed. seen it. I can't wait to see it. I've never seen it. I'm going to have to watch sabbatical now. I mean, and you know what? Michael Douglas is one of those guys, whenever he's in a movie, he is a cool, bad dude. You're yeah. like, that dude's just cool. So you got me wanting to watch that. Oh, man. You yeah. are so welcome. You, yeah. you, sure. You go, can have, stop, that, stop this right now. Yeah. You just go right now and go and watch that movie. This question is now officially yours. You can have it. I'm going to go watch the movie. We traded right there. So, And then lastly, what is your? who is your first celebrity crush? Hopefully they're American, so we'll know who they are. But your first celebrity crush. Now, can you define a celebrity crush? Is this... Is this somebody a was woman, famous that or is this was a, a man? Woman, uh, it's a woman, I'm hoping, but uh, it okay. was the woman you first had a thing for who you saw on you know movie, TV, whatever. Oh man, I, I 
I've, to be honest, I, I honestly don't know. That sounds like I therefore don't struggle with the the, the sin of, of looking at women lustfully, which I do because I'm just a, a regular heterosexual guy. But um, so this is the opposite of that. I always used to find Golden Girls really funny. Uh, we, <laughs> my we used wife to get that loves over here. that show. Yeah, my son yeah, has a t-shirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, but that that didn't trouble me in that area at least. Yeah. Uh, Betty White, but, she's yeah. a looker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was Dorothy, wasn't it? Who was the really funny one? She just cut people down They all they were. were. It was. It was a. It was a great show. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, yeah, I, I don't. Remember. I do remember. Uh, how much my dad loved watching Cheers, and I think he had a secret thing for Diane. Uh, but, uh, but I don't want to throw him under the bus yeah, on, on, on this one, but, uh, but yeah, no, I'm struggling to think of one and not, not because I'm holy. Well, that's okay. When, you when, say, first... when you said golden girls, you got four and one right there. So I think you're good. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 there's no shame in saying golden girls. I but when I, when I, when I thought of the celebrity crush, I just thought a famous person you're really impressed with. And for me, that was a guy who played cricket and I really admired him because he was kind of not athletic looking, but he was really graceful and elegant and really good at the sport. Yeah. And I've always thought, Hey, that's really cool because I'm, I'm not a sports looking guy. I love to watch sports. I even, Hey, I used to follow the Houston Oilers. Oh my they goodness. Earl Campbell. Yeah. Before they became the Tennessee Titans, love you know, Earl Warren Campbell. Moon. The run and shoot three, offense. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Jerry Glanville was their coach yep. at one point. Yep. They made the playoffs every year for about 10 years and they always got beaten by Pittsburgh Pitt on a Steelers. field goal. Oh, you ain't kidding. The controversy <laughs> falls. Yeah. I'm, I was a huge Oilers yeah. fan. I loved Earl Campbell back in the day. So Okay. Yeah. 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 You're speaking my love language. So, well, hey, yeah, yeah. Time, for time's sake for you, let me give you a couple more thoughts and then we'll, we'll wrap here. I could talk to you all day, James. So you've been, you've been great. Um, Talk about the writing process and what it's like from A to Z uh, and compare that or contrast that to being a follower of Jesus. What is comedy writing, where you're trying to get to there and where we're trying to get to in a personal following of Jesus? Relate those two things in your life. Oh, that's easy because in both of them, failure is certain. Mm. Uh, so I you know when I occasionally describe what I do to my kids, especially when they were younger, I would say to them, um, I spend most of my time being told that what I've written isn't good enough. Uh, so I write a draft of a thing and they go, Hey, this is great. Here are some notes. Go and do it again. Uh, These are okay. Your kids. About a draft. These are yeah, your kids. You so yeah, so, yeah, they don't give me notes, but I just explain to them kind of like the normal process for me is basically being told, do it again, mm. uh, do it better this time. Uh, so so it's it's a very painful process. You pour your heart and soul into it and you've got to kind of steal yourself to be given this set of notes that you know are going to make you angry. <clears throat> and it goes back to, I guess, talking about Jesus and how how he is prepared to say really difficult things. You you read the notes and you just think, the person who wrote this is an idiot. You know, what? Ah, why do they, can they not see? Is it not? And then you go to bed. And you get up the next morning, you look at the notes again, and you go, yeah, that bit wasn't very good. Mm. Yeah, that scene's too long. Yeah, that joke isn't really that funny. Uh, yeah, that there's something in this. Yeah, okay, I'll do it again. And then you, you do the next draft, and then you just go, it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, okay, here it is. Draft two, film it. It's perfect. And then you get more notes. And then you get, and it's just like, you so react you the same way again. And by draft seven, you're mm. like, okay, I think it might be pretty much there now. It's not perfect, but it's better. And then you think back to draft one and you're thinking, 
Ay, ay, ay. Wow, that stank. I do not know who that guy was who wow. thought that that draft was perfect. Um, and it, that's kind of capacity for self-reflection, I guess, is what you really need to cultivate to be a writer. And that's the Christian life, isn't it? You look back at that doofus that you were when you were 17, 23, 29, 33, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And you feel kind of a mixture of, of affection, but mostly shame. <laughs> um, and that's good. That's healthy. Um, you're not the worst person in the world. You're not the worst person you can be. You've got a long way to go. Uh, you, you're going to you know, put your back into it, but you're going to fail again. So, you know, I'm hearing you, know, you two say two things in there. One, there's kind of a second Corinthians five seventeen about, you know, the old is gone, the new has come kind of we're new creations in Christ. And that's kind of an ever evolving thing. I think Philippians one, six, where, you know, the, the Pinkleton quote here would be, you know, we haven't arrived, but we're on our way. And I think what you said there, I think that is, you know, I, I love being around people who have greatly matured and grown in Christ, but they don't really see it for how everybody else does and clearly how God sees it. Um, and that, that's a process. And it's like, okay, day one compared to day 10, day 10 is better. Day 20 compared to day 10 is better. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to is the process. And when you look back, start to finish, it's like, whoa, that was this. And here's where it is now. Um, is that is that a fair assessment of what you just said? Yeah, I think so. You said it much better than me and you used the Bible. So that should definitely oh. uh, make, sure, make sure you leave that bit in. You can cut my bit out. But yeah, go. that, that's good. I'll take that. Well, let's wrap with this. So I, I bet you and I are similar in that we're, you know, when you, a couple of the things you've said talking about where we're easily offendable and our expectations are too high. I like to call those things holy frustrations. So some of the holy frustrations I deal with in my world of ministry and trying to love God and love other people is I struggle when people overpromise and underdeliver. I struggle when people don't let their yes be yes and their no be no, because scripture's clear about that. If you say no, you don't have to make excuses or apologize. If you say yes and don't follow through, trouble. And then third, lukewarm Christianity. You know, we're either growing and following Jesus and being obedient to the Great Commission, or we're not. There's no real in between. What's what's like your biggest holy frustration that if you were, again, preaching at a church or could speak to it, and we would make significant kingdom advances based on that, what would be your holy frustration that you'd like to see us make significant growth and progress in, James? Uh, I don't know. The, the closest I can get to that in my head, I found myself saying it a lot on my sitcom podcast, and then I've sort of ended up saying it a lot on my other podcast with Barry Cooper, Cooper and Carrie have words, and it's this. No one thinks they're the bad guy. So I think we've got this really toxic uh, culture of us versus them. And the, the, the us, we're really good at being us and we're really good at owning them. And to be honest, I'm kind of fairly comfortable watching fairly extreme YouTube videos where they just completely go off on one. And I just go, oh, God, that's kind of interesting. But the, the thing we always need to remember is that no one thinks they're the bad guy. The guys on the other side see things very differently to you. They they care about different things from you. And so thinking that they're some kind of underground lair, um, you know, Bond villain who's stroking, uh, stroking a cat. I mean, no one thinks they're that. So I just think we need to be a little bit more uh, empathetic towards other. I, I, I hardly ever use the word empathetic. I don't know why I started using it then. But it's just <laughs> like, look, when when you're up when you're butting up against somebody, just figure out what are they trying to do, because they don't think that they're being unreasonable, and that comes through when you're writing sitcoms as well. You don't want to create cartoonishly bad characters, 
they, they've all got good motivations and the great big renaissance of the superhero movies, all the bad guys are kind of troubled good guys. Mm. Um, so l- let's just kind of figure out well, what are they trying to do? You don't have to agree with them. I think we've got this real um, sense that if we listen to someone and try to understand their point of view, we're kind of giving it too much oxygen and credence and believability, or even worse, it might convince us. But it's just like, no, no, just, just listen. What, what, why do they think what they think? And then you might actually be able to have a, have a good conversation. Mm. They might then listen to you and discover that, you know, that you care about things that they hadn't really realized. Uh, so, you know, I just think it's a question of, of listening. I mean, I like to talk as you could probably gather, but I'm trying to cultivate the ability just to listen, listen carefully and then ask some questions. And if you really do have an unshakable conviction in the Lord Jesus Christ, which I think I do, uh, you don't need to get defensive. Uh, Jesus doesn't need a savior. He has already filled that position. You know, you do not need to build the kingdom of God. He built it. He owns it. He made it. He is the head. Uh, that's been done. He can do it without you. Um, he's mostly doing it without you. He lets you He lets you join in just like you let your kids help, in inverted commas, uh, yeah. with the stuff that you do around the house. I mean, that's kind of what our helping is, isn't it? Yeah. So let's just be honest about that. I love what you talked about there with listening and faithfulness. And I read a blog yesterday that talked about five signs we should have around our desk to remind ourselves of daily. And number one was shut up. So I'm going to shut up. <laughs> We're going to be done, uh, and I think that's great wisdom. James, I look forward to hopefully at some point we would meet in person, which would be great for me because that means I'm in England again or you're in the States, and uh, look forward to some future dialogue. So thank you so much for being a guest, and uh, very excited to get that book. And uh, what is it, The Art of Joking? Sacred Art of Joking, and then The Gospel According to the Sitcom Writer is coming out very soon. I have to get my hands on those. So thanks for joining us, and go enjoy the rest of your day at late in the afternoon your time. So. Thanks for joining Thanks us. Thanks so much for having me. Look forward to being with you. One day we'll go to Chick-fil-A. I've heard the dips are great, <laughs> so we'll, right. we'll do some dipping. All right, James. Have a great day, my friend. God bless. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Shine FM Podcast Network.